Welcome to The Sit-Down, a crime history podcast presented by Barstool Sports. Here's your host, Jeff Nadu. What's up, everybody, and welcome in to another edition of The Sit-Down. As always, if you're watching this video on YouTube, make sure you hit the like button and let me know what you think of today's discussion in the comment section below. If you're new around here, you just haven't done it yet, or living under a rock and seeing this YouTube show for the first time, I don't know what you're waiting for. Hit that subscribe button below now so you never miss another sit-down video. If you're checking us out through audio on iTunes, Google Pods, or Spotify, welcome in. You're here for another great episode. Make sure you leave us a detailed review. Let us know what you think of the show. Today, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get in, as always, to another very interesting organized crime topic, and we're going to get in to really an interview that I've been trying to do for a long time. You know, I've always tried and bring to you guys essentially people that we haven't heard from. A couple of weeks ago, we spoke to former Bonanno captain Dominic Sakali. Today, we're going to get into another fascinating individual story, a guy who was around some of the most powerful people really in the history of the Gambino crime family. You're going to have to wait just a second, though, for that. As you guys know, I want to get into our new presenting sponsor. And guys, look, there are a lot of things that are important in life. However, there's not a lot of things more important than grooming. You got to make sure you look good. You got to make sure you feel good. And the way you feel good is by looking good. Now, one thing that I did recently is I went and grabbed a really great product from a company called Harry's. As I said, there's one constant in the world, and that's grooming. And it's important that you have the right grooming tools. And that starts with razors. In my opinion, Harry's is the best. Now, Harry's razors are incredibly sharp. They're ergonomic. They're helpful when you have to shave. They also look great on your um, bathroom uh, counter, wherever you're going to put them. But they're also made in their own factory in Germany. And even though they're well-made, they're cheap. They only cost about $2 per razor. As I said, they're sleek and they give you precise control when you're looking to shave. It's also important that when you shave, you have the right shaving cream, the right balms after the fact, the great body washes for when you're showering and getting ready. They're going to take care of you with all that stuff from Harry's right now. And you're going to get a quality shave without the hassle with a $3 Harry's trial set. Now, this costs as much as $15, but today... You're going to get it for just three bucks by listening or viewing this show. If you go right now, like I did, to harrys.com slash sit, S-I-T, you're going to get a Truman Shave trial set, a $15 value for just three bucks right now. Yes, three bucks right now at harrys.com slash sit. Again, don't get overcharged for razors. Don't have to worry about razors anymore. Let Harry's take care of that for you. Again, do what I did. Go check out Harry's, the best in razors and grooming tools now. Get a $15 trial shave set for just 3 bucks. That's harrys.com slash sit. Now, without further ado, I want to get in to today's guest. As I said, I've tried to get this individual on for a while He's one of the first people, in fact, I think he's the first person that I've ever spoken to that is not going to appear on camera. We're only going to see a photo of him. That's because he's living somewhere in America 
this is a guy who was around um, some very powerful people, and we're going to get into his story. One of the interesting things about him as well is he is not Italian, but he is someone who grew up in a very, very Italian place, and he slotted right in. He has a fascinating life, and he joins us right now. His name is Howie Santos. And Howie, you know, I have to say, um, you have a fascinating life. You're a guy that um, you did a lot of things. You were around a lot of people, uh, and you were doing it pretty recently, quite honestly. I mean, it's it's only been about 10 or so years, you know, maybe about 15 since you've left that world. I guess I'll first ask you, how you doing? Uh, no one's really heard from you for a while. Uh, other than, you know, one or two appearances. I've been trying to get you on for a long time, haven't I, Howie? Yeah. Well, anyway, how, how you doing, Jeff? How's everything? It's good to hear yeah. from you. I'm doing well. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, um, I don't, I'll be honest with you, I don't really know um, why we haven't hooked up yet, but we're here today. So what do you got for me? Yeah, I'm looking forward to speaking to you. So I want to really kind of start with you from the beginning. You know, we don't really have a lot of preambles in the show. We kind of just get right into the story. Um, you were born in 1966. Um, I know you get older and you don't want to hear that, right? But <laughs> you, you were born in 1966. You're from Queens. We'll get into where. But as I said at the beginning, you're not Italian, right? You're, you're you know, of Spanish descent, you, 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 as far as you know, are Puerto Rican. You did some ancestry stuff. I know, I, I think I've heard that. And you actually found out you were from Spain, but you know, I guess, tell me a little about your, your life growing up. Like just your, like what were your parents like, what kind of people were they? Um, my father was just a regular working guy and, uh, my, my mother was a housewife. Um, we lived in, uh, uh, first they, they rented a, an apartment uh, in Woodhaven, Queens, 90th Road in Woodhaven, Queens. Then they bought a house around the corner on 91st Avenue, uh, Woodhaven, Queens. And um, yeah, I had a you know regular house with the, you know, with the garage underneath it and the pool in the backyard. Just grew up just like everybody else, you know. So pretty, pretty normal life, quite honestly. I guess. That's yeah. one of the things I'm always fascinated by because as you and, and, and all the other individuals I speak about on this channel, I mean, you know, it's weird because most of them actually, at least the ones that I remember, I mean, some of them grow up poorly. They don't have a father or whatever, but you know, it, it's interesting because a lot of them actually grew up pretty decently, quite honestly. Um, and you seem to be no different. Um, but you, as I talked about, and you've kind of mentioned, you know, ozone park, you know, even Woodhaven um, ozone park though at the time and really, you know, for a long period of time has been an area where the mafia is quite prevalent, right? It's an Italian neighborhood. It's near Howard Beach. We know John Gotti, you know, he lived in Howard Beach for years. We know that name is synonymous with the area. Um, I guess before I get into some of your, your, your criminal career, what do you think made you interested to get into that world? I mean, you had good parents. I mean, they provided you with a lot of things from you know, seemingly as much as they could. It seems like they lived the American dream. They had a house, then they bought a house. Um, why do you think you had any interest in that world? Why didn't you want to go do something else? Well, I mean, at the time, that's all that was around me. You know, everyone always looked up to the wise guys. And uh, what happened was, is I, I, I started um, hanging out in Woodhaven at first. I hung out with, uh, I played roller hockey with Joe O'Kane. Um, I hung out by 60 Park, Jamaica Avenue. And then, like, around when I was uh, 
13, 14 years old, I started to uh, travel to 101st Avenue, which was actually closer to me than 60 Park because I lived on the border of Ozone Park and Woodhaven. I walk one block, I cross Atlantic Avenue, and I'm in Ozone Park. And, um, you know, 101st Avenue was like maybe three blocks away from uh, um, Atlantic Avenue. So um, I started hanging out there and um, made, you know, I, 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 um, I became friends with like the, the older generation, like the one above me. And um, they were, that generation was the likes of, uh, um, well, let, let's put it this way. They used to call them back then the 77 Street Boys. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, 77 Street and 101st Avenue was where Jojo Carrazzo had his social club. That was by Aldo's Pizzeria. It was right before City Line um, by Associated Supermarket. So uh, I originally made made friends with um, John DeLorenzo. His nickname was Moose. And um, he was running the social club for Jojo Carrazzo at the time. Then simultaneously, I made friends with, uh, well, it, he took a liking to me, uh, Moose. And then I made friends with Paulie McDonald. Um, he was uh, the, like, back then he was the toughest, the toughest guy that I ever knew. And, um, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, said he was the toughest guy in the neighborhood well he he grew up with like um uh carmine ignello uh hung out over there also before um he started uh dating uh victoria Gotti. um and you know he had the marinos um i hung out with their youngest brother paulie marino but then later on i started hanging out with his older brothers um after like when i turned like around uh, I don't know, maybe like 17 or something. I was hanging out with all the older guys from 77th Street. Um, like I said, Paulie McDonald is a pretty infamous name in that neighborhood. You know, he, him, him and the Marinos wind up opening uh, Metro Oil Salvage on Metropolitan Avenue. But they all got their start working for uh, Carmine Ignello um, when he took over his father's junkyard. And, uh, you know, so that, that, that generation before me, that was, there was a lot of tough guys that came out of that generation. I mean, um, you know, when we, when we think about the Gambino family, right. I mean, we, we always want to think of Queens, right. Because of Gotti and, but we really also have to think about, you know, kind of the fertile territory that it was for that family. I mean, you, you mentioned some pretty big people, you know, Jojo Carrazzo, Danny Marino, uh, even Carmen Agnello. I mean, Agnello was obviously behind those individuals, but he was a guy that that had a lot of sway at one point. Um, you know, we, we also you know know that you know even in Ozone Park, you know, people like Vinnie Asaro was was prevalent. Um, there was a lot of guys in that area. But you mentioned Carrazzo, who you eventually meet right in the eighties. You're in your Jeff, teens. Let me let me yeah. let me just correct you one second. Sure. Um, uh, I I grew up uh, with the Marinos, not Danny Marino. Not Danny. My apologies. V- Vince, Vinny Marino, Angelo Marino, Patty I- Marino, and Paulie Marino. Gotcha. Yeah. So go so ahead. you eventually meet Jojo Carrazzo, who 
you know, we see him a lot. We saw him a lot in the footage of John Gotti. I did a video recently on Jackie Nose. I mean, it seemed like Jackie Nose and Jojo Carrazzo were in a lot of videos with, with Gotti, but there wasn't always a lot of love between the Carrazzo family and the Gotti family, which you know, I'm sure you'll get into. But I guess talk about your first time meeting Jojo. Um, I've heard, and, and maybe you can correct this because you, you knew him pretty well. Was he actually bipolar? I, I've heard that. Is that true? Uh, you know, I'm not, I, I wouldn't say that he was bipolar. Like he was just a moody guy, I guess. Yeah. Right? He was just, you know, if he was in a bad mood, you had to, you know, stay away from him. That was it. Fair you know, he was always yelling and screaming when he was in a bad mood, but as long as he was yelling and screaming, you knew you were safe because when he wasn't yelling and screaming, bad things happened. What kind of things did you embark in when you, you met Jojo? I mean, he, he was a huge bookmaker, Shylock. I mean, very powerful individual in that area. I mean, essentially really ran that area for, for that family. Yeah, what did you, what do you know about him? And what did you, what'd you, what'd you end up doing for him? You, you drove for him at one point, but you're a kid, you're a teenager at this point, aren't you? Yeah. Well, um, I, Jojo comes out of, I, I think he did a bid. He did a federal bid and he comes out like in, in the early eighties sometime. So, um, now I'm hanging out by 77 and 101st Avenue with, uh, you know, Paulie McDonald, and then I, I eventually I started working um, for Moose in the social club, keeping score for the um, um, Ramino games. And I actually worked, they had a, uh, they built a, a luncheonette right next door to the social club. And I started working there, you know, because Moose was run, was also running that, that uh, luncheonette. So basically I was really, you know, tight with Moose and uh, Paulie Mac. So I was always, you know, earning a few dollars here and there, you know, with the luncheonette and, um, you know, keeping score at the card game. So um, eventually, you know, uh, I met Jojo, um, you know, as being one of the younger kids, I got introduced to him by Moose. I got introduced to him by Paul McDonald. Um, and, you know, I started out doing, you know, small, you know, burning down, uh, some construction uh, machines at a construction site, um, burning a, a Chinese restaurant. Um, you know, it didn't completely burn down, but it was just to do a little bit of damage because they were a couple, couple of doors away from the social club and uh, they just wanted them to get out at that time. Um, and then, you know, uh, eventually always being around and... Um, uh, I remember one time uh, Jojo asked me to do him a favor and he was building a house in Georgetown, Brooklyn. And um, he wanted uh, he wanted somebody to stay there and, you know, make sure nobody, you know, broke into the, uh, to the house and, you know, uh, robbed any of the expensive equipment there. You know, I was a young kid at the time. And, um, you know, there I was, I, me and him driving in his... Uh, at the time he, at the time he was a little bit flashy, but he toned it down real quick after that. He had a, a five hundred Mercedes, and um, during that time, that was a, you know, an unreachable car. But anyway, so there I was driving to uh, Georgetown, which is like in Canarsie, um, not too far from Mill Basin, just me and him, and uh, 
you know, he was asking me questions. We were talking. You know, I, I did that little favor for him. And uh, little by little, you know, he would call call on me like, uh, you know, I'd be hanging out in the corner. He'd be like, he'd call me to give him a ride somewhere or, you know, um, just to, you know, whatever, uh, do a favor. And then little by little, I just started to be his uh his, you know, his everyday go-to guy. And uh, eventually I took over the social club and uh, became his driver. And uh, then I was running around with uh, with him, Ronnie one um, Johnny Bino, uh, Lou Mastrangelo. Um, Lou Mastrangelo wind up being a captain. Johnny Bino, maybe he's a captain now, I don't know. Um, and I was uh, collecting money for him, loan shark money. Um, eventually I started my own little loan shark business. I started taking action. Uh, you know, he taught me the loan shark business. He taught me how to keep the records. Um, and, uh, before you know it, I was with him every day from morning till night. And this is how the wheels of the mob turn, right? They're these people that are, they're kind of the patriarchs in these neighborhoods and they have these people below them, like people like yourself and, and other people, and they're taught how to do things. So he teaches you all this different stuff. He teaches you how to loan track. He teaches you how to collect. He teaches you all these things. Um, I guess I'll quickly ask, did your ethnicity ever come up? Was that ever an issue to him? No, it was never an issue. Interesting. Uh, I mean, you, you know, I, 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 I but the, the, maybe I had the one thing I had on my side back then is I didn't look Puerto Rican. Right. So, you know, I don't know you don't if, really I did, know if it would have been an issue, but I do know that. Um, his son's wife is Puerto Rican, so he's got Puerto Rican grandchildren uh, today. You know, so uh, I never took—I I never JoJo. He never struck me as a, um, you know, uh, you know, racist towards Puerto Ricans. What he actually—he actually told me one time, you know, don't e don't ever not be proud of your nationality. So absolutely, yeah, it makes sense. Let me ask you. I always want to know, like, when you enter that world, right, is it a means to an end for you? Is it something that you have grand aspirations to? Because I'll be honest, Howie, I, whenever I heard your story the first time, and I think people that listen to this show, maybe they're not as interested in the mafia as some of us, um, but they'll, 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 they'll think of it and they'll say, wow, this story is fairly reminiscent to Goodfellas in a way, right? right? Yeah. Henry yeah. Hill, he's... He's hanging around this cab stand and he begins doing things for people. And then he meets Jimmy Burke and then, you know, he, he meets Paul Vario. And it, it's quite reminiscent, quite frankly. Uh, you know, Henry wasn't, well, you know. That's it, the way it happens. That's the way. There's probably another thousand more stories exactly the same. That's just what the was way your, What was your, like, did you have like a, a thought like, hey, I want to eventually, like, I don't probably ever think I'll become a made guy, but this is where I belong. This is where I want to be. Is this what you wanted out of your life? Or is yeah, this well, you see, you see, the thing is, is back then when I met Joe, it was like unheard of for, you know, like uh, people, regular people didn't get to hang out with these guys, you know? Of um, course, sure. And it, it was like, if you were hanging out with a wise guy and the wise guy, you know, took a liking to you and put him put you on record with him you know that was a big deal that was almost being as good as you know straightened out at the time um you know as we know later on things just got filtered you know uh filtered out and uh you know everybody and their mother was hanging out with a wise guy but back then it was a special thing 
And even 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 if you weren't straightened out, just to be part of that crew, you know, you were treated special. And I mean, it's important to realize, I mean, you're not hanging out with just some, you know, ragtag associate. I mean, you're, you're hanging out with Chojo Carrazzo, who is a really powerful dude. Now, I want to ask you a little bit about his kind of relationship. He had a brother, Nicky Carrazzo, who was involved with the life. Blaze Carrazzo, he was around the world as well. A um, lot of connection to that world. In fact, it's interesting because his son today is a lawyer and, and has been a mob lawyer for a long time. Now, I want to talk a little bit about his relationship with the Gotti regime, because we've heard over the years that Nikki Carrazzo and Jojo Carrazzo didn't have the greatest relationship with senior. And then we'll get into junior in a bit. I know you have certain things to say. I have certain things to say about that, but what, um, what was the relationship truly like with senior for the Carrazzos? Um, well, see the, the Nikki Carrazzo was was I believe the one who really had the uh, who really bumped heads with John. Mm-hmm. Um, you, cause they both uh, they they all started out um, with uh, Fat Andy Fat Fat Andy uh, Ruggiano, and um, you know later on uh, because Nikki and and John Gotti couldn't get along. Um, John Gotti wound up with Danny uh, Fatico and uh, you know, that's when they split and, you know, uh, when they were younger, when they were kids, they were always getting into, you know, disagreements, you know, in the street, they've actually even had some fights, John's crew and Nikki's crew. And um, one, one of the, one of the guys, uh, this is a story that I was told this Jewish guy named chink. Okay. Um, if it's true or not, it's something that I heard from all the guys hanging out at the uh, at the social club, and from guys that don't bullshit. But um, one of the stories is that uh, during one of their fights, that Chink actually hit John with a baseball bat. You know, obviously John was just a young guy at the time; he wasn't who he was. And mm-hmm. the, you know, these guys they would get into battles with each other. You know, they, everybody's. Um, trying to move up, make reputations for themselves. So, um, you know, the only, the only thing that I believe that brought um, uh, jo- uh, Jojo and Nikki uh, close to John was, you know, when John uh, killed Paul Castellano and took over the family. You know, uh, eventually Jojo became John's driver. And, um, you know, Nikki became a, a, a trusted, you know, confidant. So essentially a lot of the, the beef that they had was very early in life, right? In their mob yeah. life. Kid stuff. Kid eventually, stuff. Yeah, eventually people grow up and they, you know, again, once John becomes boss, you have to almost be compliant in everything he does and just kind of move on to the next person. Um, I guess I'll ask you, I mean, JoJo's a guy we don't necessarily talk about as much, but he, he made a lot of money, didn't he? He was very powerful in that neighborhood that you were from. Wasn't the ru- the running the running joke in the uh, by the club was that JoJo made his first million when he was sixteen years old. Amazing. Whether or not that's true, I don't know, but evidently he did make a lot of money at an early age. But he he was always he's an intelligent guy, you know. Um, strictly business, uh, you know. His life was was uh, in you know for a, a, a long period of time in the car with me, and our office were payphones. We just drive around all the five boroughs and stop by payphones. We had rolls of quarters on us, 
and he would make all his phone calls. All right, let's go over here. We'd go meet somebody over there. We'd go to a specific pay phone that nobody really uses to go make another phone call. I mean, I, I've been with him, uh, taking him to New Jersey to meet uh, Arnold Squatiri when he was the acting boss. You know, a, a, everywhere from there, um, I, may, I met Jackie D, uh, D'Amico, um, you know, driving Joe around. Um, I actually became pretty good friends with uh, Pete Gotti when he became the boss, you know, through Joe. Um, but he, yeah, he was strictly business, no nonsense guy. How much uh, per day did you spend in quarters on phone call? Oh, forget about it. Rolls and roll. I don't know, maybe like 200. <laughs> Fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it's the world you have to live in back then, right? And even yeah. today, if you really want to stay off the radar, you have to you have to be uh, under the radar. And and these old guys, they knew what to do and what not to do. It's amazing. You're you're moving around. You're you're meeting all these very powerful people. You know, I, again, I did a show the other day on D'Amico, and I don't know if we necessarily give him enough credit. A lot of these guys, I mean, they were powerful dudes. You know, and I think you have these thoughts of who they are because of one or two people. But the truth is, I mean. You become the boss or the, let's say, underboss or consigliere, which all these people ended up becoming. Uh, you're doing something right. You've been around that world a long time. And ultimately for Carrazzo, he would become, uh, you know, a very high-ranking member, you know, during the, the, the heavy times of the Gottis. I want to um, – Wait, before – before I yeah. just want to touch on something real quick. You know, what you got to understand about guys like the Carrazzos, uh, uh, John Gotti, um, these guys, they don't come from mob royalty. They mm-hmm. made they made their way up through the ranks in the streets with no sure. uncle, no father, no yeah. cousin that was a big shot. They they you know they met the right people and the right people you know took them under their wing and and you know they made their way they made their bones on their own you know. And that's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up because that's I think what's so fascinating about members of of that family is you're right they didn't have a. a you know, Carmine Persico wasn't their father or, or, or you know, so-and-so wasn't their uncle. They, they they did it their own way and they made their own way in the world and became what they became. Um, now, I know a lot of in those neighborhoods, one of the big money makers and true money makers are the machines, right? Yeah. You, yeah. you had a lot of experience uh, with those as well. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you something about, I'll tell you a little uh, story Um and Anthony Carrazzo, uh, he passed away. Unfortunately, he was a he was a nice guy. Anthony, um, he was uh, one of the twins. He was in on the ground floor with these machines. Okay, and the only reason why he didn't become a zillionaire with these machines was because at the time it was quarters, and he hated dealing with so many quarters. You know, he was a little bit lazy, I'll be I'll be honest, and you know, probably a little spoiled too, being the youngest brother and you know, maybe getting a few things handed to him here and there. Um, yeah, but uh he would have been the biggest guy in the five barrels with machines if he would have stuck it out because eventually they changed into uh, you know, bills. The the machine would take twenties, you know. Um, and the machines was huge, huge. I mean, we had a machine inside the, uh, inside the social club when I was, uh, running it, when me and Joe were partners, uh, which eventually I took Ronnie one arm as a partner and we were partners in there as well. And, you know, that machine, uh, easily was making like, you know, 10, 15,000 a week. Uh, and that's just one machine. That's just one machine. Yeah. 
and, and you think about one location, two machines. Yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing to think about the money you can make from such a small little operation. That if you're out there and you're out there collecting, you can you can make hand over fist with that kind of thing. Um, so you know, you obviously you're around Carrazzo and you're around the, these big people, but as I said, the wheels in the the mob turn and and, and younger people start elevating. And you mentioned you know Ronnie One Arm Truccio, who has a pretty fascinating history. You became pretty close with him. Um, several other people that you mentioned, Louis Mastrangolo, people like that. Uh, and then we'll obviously get into Ronnie's son, Alphonse, and, and some of your run-ins with him. But Bobby kind of, Glasses. Bobby Glasses. We'll get into him, too. I wanted to ask you about him. But Ronnie Onearm is, is, is an interesting guy. Uh, tell us how he got his nickname. because That's a pretty interesting story. Um, when he was a young kid, he was playing in a fire hydrant in Brooklyn. And um, the water knocked him down, and the car ran over his arm. And, uh, you know, I guess it killed all the nerves in his arm. So basically, you know, he had a, a limp arm, a dead arm. And, uh, you know, he didn't want, he refused to, you know, amputate it. So, you know, he would, you know, he would put it in his suit uh, arm and then just take the arm and put it in his pocket. So it always looked like he was walking around. He had his hand in his pocket, you know, like holding a gun or something, you know. Now, it wouldn't stop him from being a pretty powerful member of the mob and, and ultimately. No, not at all. Well, he, you know, he was also a big guy. He was like six foot, I don't know, four maybe or three, something like that. But he he was over six foot. And uh, yeah, he used to tower over people. And uh, yeah, no, he was pretty powerful with that one arm. He had that big, big, giant diamond ring. I mean, it was huge. And uh, if he hit you, you know, that diamond ring was like having brass knuckles on. What kind of things did you do at Ronnie One Arm? What, what kind of vices were you involved with? Um, well, uh, like I said, we were partners with the social club. Um, uh, but basically, like, you know, my loan shocking, my, uh, my sports and, you know, my earnings like out in the street uh, other than the social club. That was I was partners with Joe, um, you know, I, I you know obviously I'm not going to have to uh, be a partner with Ronnie because he wasn't on Joe's level. But whatever we did in the social club, we were partners. Now, um, what kind of you're you're in your 20s, you know, late 20s by this point. What kind of money are you making around this time? Are you you know you you, you doing well for yourself? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's not like you know you get your paycheck at the end of the week, you know. Right. You you do the figures on the machines. You take your cut. You you know you do the uh you take the the cut from all the card games. You add it up. You take your cut. Um you know then I go and I I meet my customers. I take my cut. Give JoJo his cut. Uh, I do the sports. I give the office their cut. I take my cut. I mean you know some weeks maybe, I mean like on a good week ten thousand. Uh, but on an average I would say. And and for the late '80s, early '90s, this was pretty good. You know, I would say about maybe three, five thousand a week, like that. You know, every once in a while, you get a good week. You know, you make a little more. Now, I believe this is you in 1993. Is that correct? Yeah, that's me in '93. I I got uh I I turned myself in Rikers Island to uh, do a a bullet for a gun charge. And when you say bullet, explain that. I know what you oh, mean. Oh, that's uh, that's what they call a year. In Rikers Island, they call it a bullet. Now, what happened? You were caught with an illegal firearm, is that correct? Yeah, 
Yeah, I had gotten into a a problem earlier in the night and um, fired the gun inside the Harbor Club. And, uh, you know, then continued drinking and later on that night got silly and decided that I want to make a couple of guys dance at the corner store and started firing at the floor and somebody called the cops. I was driving two of my friends home. Uh, they pulled us over and uh, I used to have a, uh, a little compartment in, uh, in my car. I used to be able to take out the, the vent, put the pistol in there and put the vent back in. But I did this during the winter time and the vent used to come, go in and out pretty easily. But the weather changed, it was warmer out. And, you know, when it gets hot, things expand. So um, when they pulled us over, I, I couldn't get the fucking, I couldn't get the vent back in. Uh, so I just had to put the pistol underneath my seat. And, uh, you know, while they had us pulled over, because I, I think I blew a red light like a fucking idiot, um, I hear the call come over, shots fired, tans to Dan. Anyway, they told us to put our hands uh, on the car, and they found the pistol. And uh, the two guys, that they got arrested with me. But um, at the time, I, uh, I took the weight for the pistol so they wouldn't have to, you know, go to jail or get anything on their record because it was my fault. And uh, we made a deal uh, a year in Rikers Island. Now, were you told at any point by anybody that was connected to you, as far as JoJo or anyone like that, were you ever told, you know, don't take a plea? That, that was a, a thing we've heard about in the Gambino family, that under the Gotti regime, you didn't take pleas. Did no, I, I was never told not to take a plea. Um, you know, but you, you, you don't allocute, but, you know, you take – you make, you know, you make a plea agreement, you know, you're, you're not going to say you're part you don't of that talk, crew right. or, mm -hmm. you know, you just plead guilty to the crime you committed, you know. Understood. Um, you mentioned um, Bobby Glasses, uh, Bernays, who um, at one point would, would be very high, be very high ranking as well. Um, what kind of what kind of involvement did you have with him? Because I think as we've we've heard about him in, in different stories, I mean, Frank Fiorellino is, is discuss him. You know, he was obviously connected with some of the younger kids in, in, in Ridgewood and Middle Village in that area. Uh, what about him do you remember? Because yeah, I know you down the road would, 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 would testify essentially against him. What, what are your memories of him? Well, um, my memories were uh, uh, when, when, he, when Bobby came off the lam from killing uh, one of the guys, one of the two guys from Jamaica Avenue. In the bar. He stuck. Yeah, he started coming around uh, by the social club again. I, you know, I guess he he was there before, I, and I think I started seeing him after that incident when when I met him. And uh, you know, he uh, was always at the social club. Sometimes he would even sleep there because he lived so far away. So uh, eventually, he opened up a cafe in Glendale, and uh, he took this kid, Ralph Shulo under his wing and um at the time i i was getting all the credit cards from this guy named piccolo who was getting all the credit cards in the neighborhood at the time and because i was with joe and you know piccolo was with joe i'd get first crack at as many credit cards as i wanted and uh, i i started to sell credit cards to this kid ralph shulo i got introduced to him through bobby and um that's how i like well, I mean, I I started to converse with Bobby a lot when he was uh, taking action by the club, I believe, uh, in the beginning. And, uh, 
you know, and then later on, uh, when JoJo's going away to jail in uh, 95, I think, um, he uh, told me to stay by Bobby, uh, you know, while he was gone. So um, from like, uh, I don't know, 95, 96 till like uh, 2000, 2001, I was by Bobby's Cafe and uh, with him every day. Now, we actually learned from Frank and, and we've learned from history. Ralph Shula would ultimately be killed by members of the Giannini crew. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he obviously had, you know, started acting a little bit different. And, and Frank's talked about that. But um, so, you know, Bobby Glasses is someone that you were around pretty regularly. I want to talk a little bit about um, a story I heard about you. Um, and, and I, I want to say you've talked about it before, but I heard it from someone uh, important uh, that you know as well. At one point, it was said that you actually shot at Ronnie Gialonzo. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. That When we were uh, young kids. When you were younger. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, they, him, uh, um, Vinny Asara, and, uh, and his son, uh, Jerry Asara. Jerome? Yeah, yeah Jerry. Uh, they beat up a friend of mine. And um, me, my friend... Uh, Joel Kane and another friend of mine, we uh, we went looking for for Ronnie because he was he was the one who threw the first punch at my friend. So um, I believe he was uh, leaving his girlfriend's house. We started to follow him, and uh, he drove to Howard Beach to uh, to uh, pick up, I guess, his friend Mike Padavona, who's also a wise guy now too. Mm-hmm. And um, we got out of the car. And he jumped out with a baseball bat. He was ready to he, he was ready to fight all four of us with that baseball bat. But um, you know, I didn't feel like getting cracked in the head with a baseball bat, so I pulled out a pistol and I fired twice at him, I believe, but he ran behind his truck and uh don't don't get me wrong, listen. We actually became really good friends after this and he was no punk in the situation. He came out, he was ready to do what he had to do. And uh, then later on, he actually passed by the corner again and yelled out the window that there's going to be hell to pay. And uh, so me, my friend, uh, and uh, Ronnie, and well, Joe, was he didn't sleep there, but they told us to sleep at the club that night until Joe went to go see Vinny Sara in the morning. And uh, they were going to try to set up a, a, a one-on-one fight in the... Uh, you know, in the basement somewhere. But, um, and I remember, I remember Ronnie saying, make sure you wear, uh, combat boots. And, you know, if you get him on the floor, stomp on his face, whatever. But anyway, when Joe went to see, uh, Vinny, um, he told him that Ronnie was, uh, was proposed to, to get made. So, um, to make a long story short, I bumped into Ronnie and choices and we started having a conversation and, um, you know, he was actually, uh, you know, nice guy as far as I was concerned. And uh, I guess he took a liking to me. We started hanging out. We'd ride our motorcycles together. I, I've stopped by his house um, uh, numerous times, not the new house, the older house. And uh, we became really good friends. We were hanging out, uh, you know, a lot. It's funny because a lot of your stories, um, they, they involve you being young and you do stupid things. And then you realize eventually that as you get older, that, it's all little kid shit. And it seems like a lot of the stuff that, you know, most of the people that, that we talk about or deal with 
a lot of it happens when they're younger. But you know, Ronnie, as we know, I mean, he's doing a long bid now, and and he's up and, and make know. make no mistake, yeah. he's he's a tough guy. Yeah, he's I've a tough that. guy. He's no slouch. I've heard that, and he comes from kind of a, a long line. I mean, his uncle is, is Vinny Asaro, yeah. who you know we know is is a, is a long time member of the family. Let me ask you: um, I've heard a story about Vinny Asaro, and I, I I don't know that I've ever been able to have it substantiated. Maybe you know. Have you ever heard about the fact that Peter Zaccaro killed his dog? Have you heard that story? No, I never heard the story about the dog. Okay. Yeah, I guess he had this dog that he really loved, Vinny Asaro. And I guess the dog tried to bite Bud Zaccaro at one point, and Bud shot the dog and killed him. And Vinny went to Joe Messino to have Bud Zaccaro killed. And Joe Messino said, no, we're not killing him over a dog. And it was just kind of an interesting story. But you didn't really have... Much you running, know, you, you know, uh, Sicaro, uh, uh, John Sr., when uh, Carmine was dating his daughter, yeah, Victoria, mm-hmm. uh, sent uh, I don't know if he sent them directly, but they wound up at Carmine's junkyard and they shot him in his ass. Yeah, I think, I think they were told, you know, don't kill him, but, but right, rough him up. Um, right. and, and it's interesting you brought that up. I actually just did a this is kind of crazy, Howie. I did a TikTok on Carmine Agnello recently, and it did, I think I did a 1.3 million views. And, and I, I actually talked about that in the uh in the video. So I'm I'm glad you were able to substantiate that. But um, so you know, you're running around, you're with Ronnie One Arm, and you're you're meeting all these these high profile guys, you're making money and things are good. Um, I I, I don't want to go too much into it, but what's your personal life like at this point? Are you are you married? What, what's what's going on with that? And I guess the question is, what does your family think of all this? Do they like do your parents look at you and say, you know, why did you become this? Like, do they know what you're doing? Like, what, what was that dynamic like? Yeah, I mean, they 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 knew uh, for a long time because um, before I before I ever uh, started hanging out with JoJo, you know, um, I had friends. We'd go out and rob cars, and um, you know. Back at the time, uh, you you would even steal a bumper or two here and there, um, and uh, you know I was actually making money, uh, and uh, I'd show up uh, home with new clothes, and you know I'm right. I'm a you know I don't know maybe like uh, sixteen or something, and I'm showing up home with brand new clothes, and you know and. Uh, they they knew that you know I wasn't working, and they knew where I was hanging out was all mobbed up. They weren't stupid, but um you know, they they just accepted it because that was the way it was back then. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it was just a way of life. You know, uh, people, that's what people did. Now, when you um when you shot at Ronnie one or not Ronnie uh, Ronnie G, and you talked about the, the the incident with the gun that you ended up doing a year for. Was that the first time you had ever used violence? Like, I guess, what was that like? I mean, when you went, went through your head, did you think about that? Did you, was that just something you were going to do? You didn't care? You didn't care about, you know, hey, because well, look, again, the first anyone. Guy I shot, the first yeah. guy that I shot was uh, the two guys uh, split my head open with a baseball bat. I think I was in the hospital for about a week. I got scars from one end of my head to the other. I got a scar on my forehead from it. And um, when I finally ran into the guy uh, after, you know, maybe it was like about a year later, um, outside of this club, Remington's, um, 
I, uh, according to the story, uh, I, when I shot, I, I saw him outside. And first, I saw him in the restroom. I went looking for him. He was outside getting in the car. They were getting ready to leave. The guy saw the, the his the guy driving saw the pistol in my hand. He actually said my name. Hey, Howie, take it easy. Take it easy, Howie. So they must have had a conversation. They must have recognized me. And uh, I leaned into the car, and I just remember me, and I shot him in his chest. And uh, according to the story, was the bullet fragmented, or the the story that I heard was that the bullet changed direction and came out his side. And but the the gunshot, he he was in the middle of opening the door, so he like simultaneously flew out of the car. And uh, I tried to run around the car. But believe it or not, there was fucking cops on the other side of uh, Woodhaven Boulevard. And I did this outside in front of a whole bunch of people, too. Um, that was the first time I shot somebody. And uh, I didn't really think about it too much because I was so fucking mad. Though what I went through would get my head split open that, um, you know, it didn't phase me. I went, I gave the gun to my friend. I went by um, Vinnie Marino's house. I slept there just in case he died. Um, Cause I, I thought he died, and um, then I went to the junkyard with them, and then we found out later on that he didn't die. Uh, and um, two years later, I got the other guy stabbed him. I don't know six, seven times, according to the story. His intestine was hanging out. Um, uh, yeah, I became a pretty violent guy after that incident. I just had no regard for anyone. So you were doing, I mean, you're doing a lot of stuff. I mean, you're collecting, you're making money, but you're also a pretty violent individual and you're um, involved with fights, you're involved with stabbings, you're shooting people, you're doing things that um, any good young mob associate does. So I guess I'll ask, I mean, there had to be a conversation at one point with Carrazzo where he says, hey, you know, I mean, obviously you. you Well, he sat down for me with the the kid that I shot. mm -hmm. Um, What happened was is... uh, when I got my head split open, I, you know, obviously Joe knew me, but, uh, you know, I wasn't, you know, driving him around yet. So um, he, he understood that, you know, I, that I was getting even. And um, so uh, the kid's father was a uh, Sicilian from uh, Ridgewood and um, Jojo, they called for me and they, they took me to a, a social club on Rockway Boulevard. And when I walked in, this kid and his father was sitting there, the kid that I shot, and uh, Bobby Venez was sitting there, and he was translating because his father mm-hmm. uh, didn't speak good English. He spoke Sicilian. And um, they squashed it. I asked Bobby, I said, what about the other guy? He said, no, it's not squashed with him. You do what you want with him. And uh, I remember JoJo telling me, yeah, uh, a real tough guy will get up close and, and stab a guy. You know, like, uh, I don't know if he used those exact words, but that's what he was saying, you know, uh, like, uh, because that was his thing when he was a kid. He was uh, a knife guy. Um, and then that's why I stabbed this, the uh, the second guy, because he said that to me. He kind of, he told you. <laughs> Interesting. Wow. <laughs> Let me ask you, Um, obviously, you, you were, you're not Italian, right? But did right. the conversation ever come up? Like, did you ever think at some point maybe they would just say, you know what? This guy's with us. We don't really care. Did the, the conversation ever come up? Like, hey, you know, maybe you'd get something. Do you ever was a yeah, I, yeah. Um, see, I, I really, I really wasn't worried about it so much because you know everybody knew who Joe Watts was, 
Sure. He wasn't Italian. Um, it didn't matter. But, you know, right? he was a close confidant um, with John Cena. Um, and you know what? I mean, really, uh, you know, no, I mean, nobody, nobody, technically nobody can do anything to me anyway because I'm on record with Joe. And uh, as long as I was making money, I was happy, you know. Um, so you really and, didn't care but about I, that. But I remember, I remember uh, we went, I, I forgot the name of this uh, restaurant in Long Island. And we were going there to meet a guy named Jamesy. And um, we were sitting down in the restaurant um, waiting uh, for Jamesy, I believe. And JoJo was sitting right across from me, just me and him. And he told me to my face, I wish I can straighten you out. And uh, I made a joke, yeah, well, when are they going to change the rules? You know, joking around. I didn't, uh, you know, I, obviously I wasn't serious. But then I heard a story later on from two different people. One was, uh, you know what? I don't want to say his name because I don't want to, you know, get him in trouble for saying this to me. And the other one was Tony Muscatello, who's a wise guy. Um, they both had a similar story that they heard uh, Joe reference, um, you know, like, too bad we can't change his birth certificate. You know, wow. so, um, you know, I, you know, probably a lot of people listening probably, yeah, yeah, he's full of shit. But, you know, they can think what they want. I know what I know what happened. Yeah, I mean, look, the truth is, I mean, you were around very powerful people. You were making a lot of money. You were doing things in the streets, and you were every, yeah, every good look, mob. At, look at all the jerk offs that wind up getting straightened out. You think they wasn't going to straighten me out? I figure my my calculations were if I would have got straightened out, you know, if I was uh, even half Italian, mm -hmm. uh, it would have been like in the late nineties, early two thousand. And as you said, I mean, it really didn't matter that much because Joe Watts was not Italian right. and he was a very powerful individual. And, you know, he had more sway than, than people that were made a lot of the time. So and this, really this was this was all before it became a joke. You know, this is uh, absolutely when it meant something. Sure. Now, one of the things about when we're kind of talking about after the Gotti senior regime, uh, Junior is involved in essentially running the committee and the family as, as many no, I mean, it was a committee, but Junior was the last decision maker. What was your opinion on him? Like, What was his reputation like? Because we mentioned, you mentioned um, kind of the fact that his father and JoJo and people like that, they they, they were from the street, right? They came right. through and they did what they had to do. I, I'm not saying Junior was a silver spoon kind of guy. He definitely moved around. But, you know, he was a guy that had the luck that his father was the boss and one of the most recognizable faces in the history of the mafia as a father what was your overall thought on him as a well? A... I never, I, 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 I actually made sure of this I, that I never even uh, had a conversation with the guy. Um, why is that? Why? Because he was hot. He, he, he was no. He was just him and a light and a bunch of other guys. They were just running around the neighborhood, and they were bullies. They were fucking beating up people for no reason. Yeah. Um. You know, he was. Uh, he wound up going all the way to Jamaica Avenue from Howard Beach and started hanging out with the tough guys on Jamaica Avenue. Um, I guess maybe there wasn't no tough guys in Howard Beach that he wanted to hang out with. And, uh, you know, that basically he was he was bullying everybody. He was a bully. So you, gonna, you also knew. hands to him, right? You were smart enough to know that 
if you messed around with him, he had the backing where he could just say, you know who my father is and you, 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 you have a major problem. So you just kind of assumed I'm just going to stay away from him. Yeah. See, the thing is just right. Uh, you know, um, yeah, obviously if, 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 a, if, if there's a sit down and he knows I'm on record with Joe and, you know, it's now it's the a whole situation is on record, you know, uh, there would be repercussions if he disregarded them. But, you know, if I bump into him out in the street and they put me in a hospital, nothing's going to happen to him. It's just going to be like, hey, you know, just, you know, leave the guy alone. He's with Joe and, you know, whatever. whatever. But nothing's going to happen to him. And uh, I actually, um, when, I, when, I, when I fired shots in the uh, Harbor Club, uh, the place was with John Jr. Mm. And, um, I got arrested that night and he sent uh, uh, Stephen Kaplan and Anthony Amorosa to the social club. He sent for me, but I wasn't there. And uh, uh, Ronnie one, I'm told him he's, he's locked up. He's not here. And uh, I, I guess Joe must've went down there and talked to somebody or him. And I never had to go see him. So, what do you think would happen if you did? He would have uh, yelled would, at you. Would have went to work on me if I would have walked into the club. Or, or, right. I don't know, but my my thinking is, you know, with the mentality he had back then, he was going to crack me uh, a few times, you know, thinking that 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 would have just been it. I you... I'm, I probably would have got killed because eventually because I wasn't going to let any of them fucking guys crack me around. Well, let me ask you, um. I'm curious always about this because you, you kind of mentioned that you, you knew it was kind of a common theme that you stayed away from him because you didn't want to deal with the nonsense that belonged with being associated with him and his father and the fact that his father was who he was. Do you think if he was just a regular guy, what, what do you think his future in the streets would have been? Do you think he would have had the makings of that or no? Um, I Listen, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that he was a dog, mm-hmm. you know, like um, – what direction his life would have went if his father wasn't his father? I don't know. I can't say that. Uh, what I can say is 90% of the stuff that he got away with, he wouldn't have got away with if it wasn't sure. for his father. Um, would he have hooked up with, with A-Light and, and, and Johnny Gebbett and whoever else he hung out with on Jamaica Avenue? Would they have respected him the same way if his father wasn't who he was? I don't know, you know. Uh, but you know, I mean, he was, uh, you know, he was bouncing around in the streets just like everybody else. Sure. I want to ask you something. And and I I do want to make this very clear. This is not a substantiated story. Okay. This is something that we have been told by, we had Gene Morello on, uh, several months ago, and he told us a pretty interesting story. And this has been not really, again, substantiated by anyone, but I guess you could be someone that maybe, maybe you've heard of this. He said that when he was a kid, the toughest gaudy kid was Peter. He said that, again, according to him, when he came around, people ran. Like he was very feared. Have you ever he, heard of that? He was. He was. Uh, you know what? I don't know if I can say a worse version. Uh, version of uh, John Junior, but just as bad. He was running around every fucking park corner, hangout and bullying people you know everybody knew who he was and 
And obviously, if you're going to start beating up people and they're not going to swing at you, you know, people people are going to start thinking you're a tough guy, right? Because nobody's yeah. swinging back. Sure but is. I'm not I'm not saying that, you know, he, he wasn't good with his hands. I don't know. I, you know, I would have to fight him to know if he was good with his hands. That's interesting. But, you're you're able to almost substantiate that as well because that's something we've heard. But because we've seen him in like we saw him in Grunga. No, but I'm not saying he was, he was the toughest guy. Yeah, I'm saying he was a bully. Sure. And it's interesting because we, like we said, we saw him in like growing up Gotti and he was like a totally different guy. He was just like a regular nine yeah, to I'm five sure he's guy. a different guy now. He's grown up, you know. Sure. Uh, but back then, that's what he was. He was a bully. Carmine, Carmine Cascon, um, Tony Muscatello, who's a wise guy now. Um, they were both working for me uh, when they were younger. And uh, I told them not to take Peter's action. They took Peter's action. He lost five thousand. Uh, I told I made Carmine and Tony pay me the five thousand. I didn't give a fuck if he paid them or not, because I told him not to take his action. And uh, one day he bumps into them and he makes up some excuse that they were talking to his girlfriend. It, I don't. It, it didn't have anything to do with that. He just probably didn't want to want them to ask him for the money anymore or whatever the the case may have been. And he uh, broke Tony Muscatello's jaw. And he stabbed Carmine Cascone. And obviously, just like everybody else, they didn't do anything because of who he was. I told Tony uh, at the time, if you want, we can put on ski masks and just fucking uh, baseball bat him or something. Mm-hmm. You, know? Um, you know, but that was for, for Tony and Carmine. You know, that, that, that was nothing personal between me and him. I'm just going to help my guys. So they and, were just uh, they, they, the they didn't they didn't they didn't want to. All right. So right. I left it alone because if they don't want to, I'm not gonna do anything. So the the gaudy kids are running around as as you know, bullies, but they're only bullies because who their dad was. Let me ask you, um you we've talked about Ronnie One Arm. He had a son called Alphonse Truccio, uh, who by the early two thousands was starting to run and he had been running in the streets for a while. They essentially create him and several others, this this group that they're kind of known as the, the young guns, right? They're they're out there doing things, you know, essentially a mob farm team, just like so many other ones. And you also started doing business with him, didn't you? Yeah. What kind of person was he? As a young kid, I liked him a lot. Um then when he uh he became a, a wise guy. He changed, and uh, one of my uh, when I did my state bid, I I won seven thousand with in his uh, office, and um, I met him, and he told me he was going to send five hundred a week to the, to my house. Anyway, I got postponed, so I didn't have to turn myself in that day, and uh, I wind up losing a bunch of uh, maybe all of it back, so now I got to turn myself in. So I'm going to do the same thing that he did. I'm just going to send payments. But once I got inside, um, I was able to get through on the phone to the office. And uh, they basically let me bury myself. And I wind up losing like 20 grand. And, um, you know, obviously I didn't pay it because I never got my money that I want. So I wasn't going to pay what I lost. And, uh, you know, obviously I, I guess he couldn't do anything about it. Um, because, uh, 
for that reason. And he held a grudge after that. And, you know, whenever somebody would mention my name, he'd be like, fuck Howie. And, uh, you know, so I, I knew there was, you know, obviously there's no love for each other anymore. But when I did come out of my federal bid, we did make friends again. And, um, you know, then I started hanging out. Uh, Jojo gets arrested and a whole bunch of shit's going on. I start hanging out with him by his uh, social club. You know, I did like him when he was a, when he was a young kid. Uh, but then he did something so fucking terrible that I don't know if I could fucking ever look at anybody the same. I, th- I think, was, I've, I think yeah, I've heard this. There yeah. was this kid. Uh, Let me ask you. So... Uh, He's obviously hooked up with, with several kids in the neighborhood. One of them is Gennaro Bruno. Uh, Bruno is uh, – eventually they start moving a lot of weight, right? They're selling a lot of marijuana and that sort of thing. I, I guess there's a kid, and, and I'll ask you a little bit about him, Martin Bosshart. He's selling drugs as well. He attempts to cut someone out of the operation, and the plan is to kill Martin Bosshart. What do you know about this Bosshart thing? Um, well, first um... – uh, Jerry Boss Hart, um, and uh, Todd Labaca, and a few other guys, they all ran together mm-hmm. as a crew and they were, you know, running chop shops, chop shops, and stuff like that. So, anyway, uh, Marty goes to jail, and um, while he's in jail, uh, this kid, uh, Danny Pantilla, uh, had sex with his girlfriend, him and another guy. So me, Jerry, and Todd, we uh, we go to see this guy, and uh, we know him, and you know, so he doesn't think anything's wrong. And I, I told uh, Todd put the child safety locks on the door. And uh, when he got in the car, um, we told him he had to pay twenty five thousand for doing that. To uh, you want to treat Marty's girlfriend like a hooker, we're gonna pimp her out. You got to pay twenty five thousand. Anyway, the kid got smacked around. Um, he wound up playing, paying twelve five, and the other guy was supposed to pay twelve five. So now Marty comes out of jail, and because Jerry Todd, you know, and him and other people, they were tight and they were always making money together. You know, he felt entitled to be become part of the business, the drug business that was happening uh, with uh, Todd, uh, Jerry. Um, Mike Rockefoot, Al, um, and others. Uh, so, you know, our, our, uh, Marty feels a, a certain entitlement. And, you know, these guys, because Marty is a killer, he's a known killer. Uh, he's with guys from the West Side in the Bronx, I believe. And um, they were worried that he was going to kill Michael Rockefoot to cut him out of the drug business. And um, Jerry and uh, Todd came up with the plan, you know, that they were going to whack uh, Marty. Um, Michael Rockefeller was supposed to be part of the plan, uh, but I guess he changed his mind. He didn't show up for the uh, deed or whatever the case may be. Uh, Jerry and Todd went out for a few drinks with Marty. They stopped. Uh, pulled over to get out and take a leak. And uh, Todd was supposed to shoot him, but he said that Jerry uh, cut in front of him and shot Marty in his head. And uh, 
and that was the end of Marty. And Jerry Bruno eventually, um, you know, got brought in on this, and and he's in prison currently for the murder of Martin Bossart. And we'll get into kind of how that all yeah. ended in a bit. Um, yeah. So, you know, obviously things are shaking out. You know, in the two thousands, you're you're hanging around. You know, obviously the Truchios and and Alphonse, people like that. You mentioned you had kind of rekindled things, but then you started seeing him do some really vile things, and you were kind of on the end of him. Eventually. You know, there's a lot that goes on in the Gambino family. In 2008, you have the Old Bridge, which happens. A lot of people get arrested there, including Jojo Carrazzo. Um, ultimately, you start performing burglaries and things of that nature. Um, you get arrested. Right. What happens then? Um, I had I, I already had a history of commit uh, committing um, high-end burglaries, you know, like not uh you know nickel and dime shit what kind of things are you getting like are you are you going to homes you're going to businesses i'm guessing well they 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 were they were uh armed robberies home invasions but those were always uh based on information that was given to us okay um you know like a drug dealer or someone who just uh bought a whole bunch of gold and uh as far as like uh the burglaries we tried to commit were, uh, you know, razor blades, uh, film. Um, we made a big score with Versace sunglasses. Um, so whatever you could do to essentially hijack and take and sell. Yeah. Market. Rob, Rob warehouses. And, um, you know, later on we came out with a, we, well, my partner came up with a, with a, a good method to, um, to rob Best Buys and, and uh circuit cities uh for their electronics apple had come out so that you know we sorry, would we would understand. target sorry about that this fucking okay. siri <laughs> okay. it, thinks I, it thinks i'm talking to her um <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so uh yeah so um you know and, and uh i had i had just come home from my federal bid for these uh types of uh robberies so now um i go out and i start committing these robberies again and uh i get ratted on uh we were taken down an apple store in new jersey and um kid got caught running because we had to run because the cops showed up uh well how we actually did the score was there was an empty store next to the apple store so we went into the back of the empty store we busted a hole through the wall and got into the apple store like that then we avoided the senses and we emptied all the shelves. And then we went to the back and thought that there was an alarm. There wasn't an alarm on the door to this back room because it was a swinging door. And uh, that was where the mother load was of Apple products. And uh, evidently they had a high tech security system that also had sound. It was wired for sound. They were actually hearing us talk. But wow. we had we had a guy outside with a radio scanner and and we're listening to this and uh, the calls coming over, but you know we were ballsy and we knew that they couldn't see any uh, entry uh, points from the outside because we came in through the other store, so we we stuck it out and they came and left twice, but then we I start hearing um uh uh, uh on the scanner um that. Uh, they're hearing voices inside. 
So um, the third time they came, uh, we knew they were coming. So uh, we made our way out to the back. Cop pulled up. Two of us ran one way. Two of us ran the other way. The cop, I, I, we were behind a bush. When the other two ran, I waited for the cop to go running after them. Then I went the other way. So I basically got away, got pulled over with uh, Jonathan Mascuzio, who's actually a wise guy today. Um, that's uh, Benny Geritano's uh, half-brother. Um, and uh, the kid, uh, my partner, John Cipolla's uh, girlfriend's nephew, got caught. Uh, it took him all about 10, 15 minutes to flip. And uh, when we got pulled over, they, they, they uh, held us there until... The kid flipped, he identified us, and they arrested us. And then the feds took over the case. And, um, you know, I hit a crossroad in my life where, what am I going to continue doing this shit? And, you know, and then, you know, I also got in the back of my head, I'm going to get arrested for something bigger pretty soon, too. I was basically doing a, a life sentence on an installment plan. So I decided to cooperate. Um and because I was out on bail, uh, I was wired up for sound. And um, that's how I, the uh, 2011 case got made. And then in 2011, there was another big Sorry, thing just... they would call Mafia Takedown Day. That would happen. Yeah. I think there were 127 people that were jammed up, a lot of Gambino cats. Uh, and you know, you essentially were one of the main witnesses. For against... the Gambinos, yeah. Right. Who'd you testify against and all? I only wound up testifying against Bobby Vinay's Bobby Glasses, uh, on a, in a murder case. Um, and that was about I, the, I, uh, that was a, a 93 murder somewhere around then, uh, in yeah. a bar. Right. Oh, right, right, right. You know what? I actually, I got the, 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 I thought it was around 83. Okay. Uh, you might be right. That, I might be that's right. why. No, 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 no. I, I'm not sure. Uh, no, I don't know if it's, yeah, I don't think it is uh, 93. I think it's like around 83. Yeah, you had me confused for a second there. Right. <laughs> it was in the early 80s because, I, you know, I met uh, um, Bobby around that time. So, you know, it was like after that. So, um, yeah, so I testified at the murder trial. Him and a guy named Jewish Ronnie um, sticking up for a buddy of theirs just walked into this bar and and shot and killed two guys dead. One, one. Now, I want to ask you, I do believe, in, and you could co confirm this, wasn't um, possibly a witness Gotti's nephew or niece, I'm sorry? Yeah. Um, Linda Gotti? Got, yeah, Linda Gotti. She was actually, uh, I think I think she was engaged to one of the guys. Anyway, one of the guys was her boyfriend. And the guy got killed in front of her. And, uh, you know, she... she became a witness and then obviously she changed her mind later on um i don't know if she became a witness in the uh most recent trial but uh bobby glasses he wind up getting arrested for the state with the state and he beat the case but then they recharged him and uh based on some conversations that me and him had uh out in the street when i was wired um and some knowledge that I also had before that, um, I testified, and uh, you know, other people testified, as you know, Frankie was testified too, um, and uh, 
Yeah, he was uh, found guilty, and he but he wound up dying not too long after that. Let me ask you, uh, Frank or uh, Howie, you you obviously will cooperate. You you spent a certain amount of time in prison, and and, and you're now living your life somewhere in America, and you're 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 a regular person, right? Yeah. I'll ask you, and I, I try to ask anyone that that does this. You know, look, I don't. I, I don't judge people anymore because to me, I wasn't in your position. I was never in the mob or connected. I don't know what I would do in those situations. I think a lot of these people that say they wouldn't cooperate, I think they're just talking steam and they're just trying to be tough. In the end, we don't really know, right? But I ask you, I mean, you've detailed over an hour of, of crimes you committed. You, you did some bad things. You hurt people. You you stole. You You cheated. You lied. You did a lot of things. Do you look back and ever feel bad about, you know, Essentially, he never did anything to you, right? I mean, he didn't. Well, he didn't, we actually. You ever, you ever feel bad about the things you did? He, we actually had a little falling out, like around oh. two thousand, uh, and I was. Uh, then he actually. Uh, I had. I started a card game, and uh, I was going to stay open seven days a week, and uh, he made me shut down. Uh, I think it was two days. And, uh, yeah, we just weren't, we weren't like, you know, buddies anymore. So you were a bit upset um, with him. Yeah. I'm not saying that that was the reason why I did what I did. I probably would have did it anyway, because I would have had to in order to get the deal that I wanted. Um, but yeah, he was, he actually, we got really close and then he got mad at me and I didn't even know he was mad at me until afterwards. Because when JoJo came, finished his supervised release, I started driving him around again. And um, uh, this guy, Stevie I, was looking to open up, uh, I think it was an Albanian cafe. And um, I had known from Bobby that there was a place for rent in his neighborhood. So I mentioned it to uh, JoJo, and he mentioned it to Stevie I. And then we actually got in touch with Bobby to take us there, to show us the place. Because I was going to uh, go partners with the kid, uh, Stevie, you know, on behalf of Joe. And uh, evidently, he was really, really pissed off that I did that. And he, and uh, he was telling people that he couldn't believe I did that to him. I didn't think I did anything to him, but evidently he did. So in all, you know, you, you, as I said, I kind of went through, you're, you're just a regular person now. You you. Um, are a far cry away from the place you once were. Uh, do you miss that life ever? That life, when it was good, it was good. When it yeah. was bad, it was bad. <laughs> um, of course, I miss the good times. I don't miss the bad times. Um, you know, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, yeah, sometimes I miss it. I miss not being able to talk to some of my old friends, um, you know, I've had to make a huge sacrifice. Um, I no longer, I'm no longer in contact with my daughter. Um, you know, it's, it's no, uh, the grass isn't always green around the other side, but, you know, I, 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 you know, I still feel that this was the best decision for me to make. Let me ask you, um, how much, how, how long were you facing in prison for the bank robberies and stuff? Um, probably if I took a plea, uh, I don't know. They probably would have gave me like six years. 
do you, do it, you was, think- it, was, it wasn't that. I, I didn't care about this the time. I told him, I said, listen, you want me to wear a wire for you? Give me like a two, three-year bid, and I'll come out, and then I'll just wear the wire and be on the payroll for however long, you know? Mm-hmm. But um, they didn't want to do that, the feds. But it wasn't that. It was, you know, I, I got a racketeering case sneaking up behind me. So you knew that down the road, the writing was probably on the wall for you. Exactly. Uh, you know, I'd be doing whatever this five, six years, seven, whatever it was, and then worrying that I'm going to get reindicted and probably getting reindicted. And uh, even if I take a plea on that, what's it going to be? 10, 15, uh, and then just keep coming out and having to do the same fucking thing all over again to survive. You know? Makes sense. I understand. Um, I want to kind of wrap up and just kind of put a bow on some of the people that you, you knew very well and kind of what they're up to today. Um, not really their criminal th- thoughts, but Jojo Carrazzo is still alive. He's 80 years old. Um, I'll ask you this, um, just as kind of a thought. If you could say anything to him today, what would you say to him? Like, let's say he was listening to this. What would you say to him? Jesus. Do you miss nothing, him? It would, I, I would say it was nothing personal. Okay. Do you think he, um, in his old well, days? Of course I miss him. Yeah. He was like you know, a father I, to you, I, right? I grew, yeah, I grew up with the guy. Yeah. You know? All right. Um, and one other thing, um, you know, I, I don't know if you knew, but, you know, John Jr. cooperated too, right? Yeah, and I was going to ask you that. I wanted to get into the truth because I wanted to ask you about John Jr. We, we've done a video on John Jr. I, I've kind of led the crusade that I think it's very hypocritical that some folks, particularly in his family, say that what he did was just part of a legal maneuver. Uh, I've described very openly, Howie, that John Jr. is a made member in the mafia. And in the mafia, there's a strict code. It is called Omerta. And in that code, it strictly says that you don't talk to the police. You don't give information to the police. You don't help the police in any way. Uh, and the truth is what he did in 2005 was a stone cold breach of violation of that code. And if his last name is Smith, all the people that say he is not an informant would crucify him for doing what he did. But because his name is Gotti, he gets a pass. To me, he won't get a pass with me and I don't work for the Gottis and I won't stick up for him. Do I think he did some things that were beneficial to the mob? Sure. Do I think he was ultimately a good boss? Absolutely not. Do I think his family hurt the life? Yeah, in a way I think they did. And I think when we look back and we address people like yourself or Gravano or Aled, whoever, um, you've also got to throw in John Gotti Jr. John Gotti Jr. put people's names uh, into things. He talked to the government and I guess I'll ask you, Howie, what do you think his father would have thought of his decision? He'd have killed him, right? Uh, probably. Um, you know, you think he'd have been it happy about his, it, that I, I, I don't think he, I don't think he would have sat down with the government if his father was still around. Um, you know, he would have had to bite the bullet because, yeah, maybe his father would kill him. His father was a stone cold gangster and he was a gangster till the end. Um you know, what I don't agree with is you got like, when you tell the truth about these people, you got his uh, sister, Angel Gotti, has got a YouTube channel. And now her and this guy, Dominic Crea, uh, taking information that was given to attorneys by a scumbag gangster 
trying to make me look bad with false information, no proof. They said, I killed the guy. What's the guy's name? They said, I slapped, uh, I pistol whipped old people. What's their name? Where's the report? Okay. Yeah. Um, they said that I was suspected of, of committing rape. What rape? What fucking person? They just said all of that shit to badmouth me. But then you have their followers and their minions that state all of this stuff as if it was fact. I was never even suspected of a heinous crime like that, okay? I will admit to the crimes that I committed, but I didn't commit those two off of the top of my head. Well, listen, Howie, there, there's a stark contrast between not liking someone and then putting out false slanderous attacks on people. And, and look, I, I've had my run-ins with Angel Gotti. Um, I wish you no know, ill will to her. I get, I get what she's trying to do. She wants to defend her family, I guess. But in the end, there are certain things I just don't think you can co-sign. And that kind of behavior is vile and actually quite depraved for being honest um i think you know you know she doesn't like some of the things i say I, but again i don't work for her i don't have any relationship with her and i'm not going to sugarcoat things um they, that was who her family is that's fact it's not hearsay howie it's not it's fact that he was in the mafia her father and her brother it's pretty cut and dry yeah. we all know it hey, um and you know what i don't maybe i might have maybe i might not have said this last part Okay, but evidently I'm hearing that she keeps mentioning my name on her shows like I'm some type of fucking idiot and I, I can't open up my mouth or something. Um, you know, uh, like I, I said, these people are putting out false information uh, and uh, prove it. Whatever, you, whatever they said about me, prove it. Well, I think, right. Howie, that there's there's a lot of things that are said on the Internet and people don't think about the things that come after them saying what they say. And, you know, these are the same people that will say to me all the time, you know, what proof do you have that that happened? You know, it, I, I put proof up and they never respond to it. Um, that should be they should be made to respond. And if they can't prove it, they should take that content down. That's appalling uh, to me that and this guy, to do that. This guy, uh, Dominic Crea. Yeah, I can understand. He, he's trying to get his father yep. out of prison. But I don't have anything to do with his father. Yes. So why, I... why, why, why is he investigating me? And what he's doing is he's taking the Freedom of Information Act law and he's using it as a weapon to attack people yeah. that have rubbed their, his friends the wrong way. I've talked to, I've talked to Dom once, you know, he was pretty nice to me, but, but again, that kind of stuff, the, the whole kind of crusade against informants, look, you want to do stuff fine, but I think it, it draws a line where you start making things up. You, you slanderize people. Um, I, I, again, I, I think that stuff, it, it, YouTube needs to do a better job in policing that in this genre. Um, let me ask you one thing, Howie, and then we'll, we'll look to wrap up. Um, yeah, I'm sure you'll appreciate this photo. I don't know if you've seen it, but. Uh, that's that's Ronnie One Arm uh, in prison. He's doing life. He is, I believe, in his early seventies. Um, his uh, his son Al Trucchio is out, uh, and according to many people, is shelved from the mafia currently. Now, I've been under a microscope because I said in a show I did about Al Trucchio that he was assaulted in prison, not once but multiple times. And there are many people in the comments that said that that never happened. That's untrue. Um, what do you know about that uh, situation? I know of at least two times he was assaulted in prison. And I also heard that he was assaulted out of prison. 
Right. So you're, are you saying, I mean, I'm not saying you, but are, is, is it the truth there that he is shelved? Uh, based is on that... what he, based on what he did and to who he did it to. Absolutely. And you're talking about the Bobby glasses stuff, Bobby right? glasses and Jojo Carrazzo. He, he basically um, embarrassed them. No. Well, he, 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 he didn't have, he didn't have uh kind words for his son or something like that um from what i heard but anyway he you know these are the guys that you're only who you are because they're doing your father a favor and then you go and rub them the wrong way right they don't jojo never fucking liked them anyway he always called them a weasel and <laughs> and bobby never liked them but this was this was all for for ronnie his father only reason why he became a captain was to take care of all of ronnie's guys uh, one of the final things I want to ask you, um, Sammy Gravano has made a quote at one point. I think he said in the Diane Story interview that basically he was playing chess and everyone else was playing checkers and that in the end he won. Do you feel that way? Because you look at someone like Ronnie. I mean, I'm, I'm going to guess that, you know, it's a pretty, well, you know what? pretty rough I end. Know, you know? I, I know, I know Ronnie, uh, uh, you know, he's doing life, but, and, and to everyone that's doing life, you know, um, if that's what you choose to do, all power to you. But you get the same opportunities as everybody else. You can be out in the street right now if you want. Mm -hmm. Okay? If you choose to die in prison, that's up to you. Because all these people that you think are going to think of you as this hero, they can give a flying fuck about you. Right. No, it's well said. Well, last question I have. Um, are you, do you ever, are you ever afraid for your life anymore? Um. Honestly, I know I, you stay I, pretty private. You know, you try to stay I, out you of know, that. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna uh, flaunt myself. I'm not gonna go out. You don't. And, you don't go and taunt people and stuff. But I, I don't think about it anymore because if somebody's gonna sneak up behind me and shoot me in the head, all right, that's it. I'm dead. Would why? Why should I walk around worried about it every day? Whatever happens, happens. That's well, it. you know, Howie, the mob's a lot different than it once was. So uh, I, I think uh, all in all, um, it's just a different world now. And it's a world that is incredibly, um, I think we could say neutered, if you will. Uh, they're not really able to do too much, quite frankly. And, uh, you know, you're living your life and, and that's a distant memory to you now. Um I guess I'll ask you, are you, do you think we'll see you? Do you ever think you'll do a podcast or anything? Or I know you've yeah, you know, stayed out of the way. Is that something you, you think you might want to do at some point? I, I don't know. But honestly, the real reason why I just rather do an avatar is because you have these assholes on YouTube. They like to catch you when your face is moving and make funny memes and make you look stupid. Yeah, you just don't so I figure they want to make a picture look stupid. It's just the one where I'm not moving. <laughs> that's a that's a, a sharp concise move by you howie uh well look i appreciate you coming on man uh like i said we really haven't heard much from you. you you've kind of been silent for the most part i'm sure we'll speak to you again at some point um is there anything you want to leave us with i, I really appreciate you coming on and speaking to me man no i um i actually had fun i mean you know when you get an opportunity to to talk about these things it's almost like therapy yeah yeah, I've heard that. I, I try to, I try to, you know, kind of just try to tell a story, you know, and uh, I, I've heard that, you know, people kind of feel good. Yeah, they haven't talked about a lot of this stuff in a while. And, you know, 
again, we don't always, you know, we've talked to Gravano and some of the same stories, but I think it's cool to put out some new information occasionally. So thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Uh, Howie, uh, Howie yeah. Santos, a former associate, of the Gambino crime family. We'll, we'll talk to you again. I'm sure very soon, Howie, thanks for coming on, man. All right, Jeff. Thank you. And as always, I appreciate everybody listening. As I said at the beginning, if you enjoyed this interview, make sure you hit that like button. Let me know what you think in the comment section. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll see you next week. Uh, make sure you go check out um, our uh, sponsor, uh, Howie's Razors. Uh, go check that out. Uh, and yeah, uh, we'll, we'll talk to you next week here on The Sit.